second half. Uh, number two, Second Timothy chapter three. That's where we'll spend most of our time this morning. I want to begin today's message uh, with a question, but before I do, I just want to say uh, thanks uh, to Julie and her hard work uh, in both uh, King's Kids. Uh, and then also Jesus League, which is our after-school program. They did a phenomenal job this morning. In fact, I'm going to ask Julie to work with a group of seniors. I'd like to see up here doing that. And uh, hats off to Tripp, because Tripp kept banging on that thing, and I don't think he ever missed a word when he was singing. So good job, Tripp. He's high energy anyway. Comes by that naturally, I think. But uh, great job to them. And again, uh, your uh, gifts to the church, your tithes and offerings uh, help to advance the work that we do, not only in ministry inside of our church, but outside of our church. So one of the things we're asking God to do as a leadership core is as we enter a new, uh, like our 101st year, continue our 101st year of ministry, uh, is that God would bless us abundantly through the giving of his people uh, because there's much work for us to do. So uh, just to challenge you. Now, if you're a guest with us, uh, I like to remind you uh, we're not after your wallet. Uh, God's not after your money. Uh, we give, those of us who give, give out of a heart of worship for all that God has done for us. So as a guest, we just want you to sit back, relax, uh, participate as you feel comfortable, and then most importantly, our desire is that God would speak to you through the course of our time. We're in the second week of a new series, kind of a foundational series for us called Essentials. The idea is that you were made to thrive, not merely survive. And so uh, we're going to revisit a number of things uh, that will speak to this idea. But I want to begin with this question, what or who influences your life the most? What or who influences your life the most? Uh, perhaps it's your parents. Uh, perhaps it was a uh, overbearing dad that even though he's long since gone, uh, you still feel like he's watching over your shoulder and you never do anything right. You never actually hear, good job. Um, maybe it's... Um, your uh, academic track, uh, maybe you went off to college and certain professors in the liberal arts school you attended influenced you uh, heavily and shaped your thinking. Maybe it's your spouse, and uh, we would all be a little wiser if we would pay attention to the input uh, from our spouses, but maybe that's the most uh, weighted influence. Maybe it's your, your career, maybe your job, maybe it's politics. Maybe the weightiest influence in your life is Fox or CNN. Um, I want to talk to you about what I believe ought to be our weightiest influence, both as individual Christ followers and as a church. And this series that we've begun uh, is intended to track this essential link that exists between the idea of vibrant life in Jesus Christ uh, and at the same time, that which makes a church vibrant and healthy. See, God's aim for the Christ follower and for the church is one and the same that both the individual and the gathering of believers would reflect his glory to the world around us, his glory as it's revealed in Scripture. So we might define abundant life this way. Abundant life is to see our individual lives transformed as we live in vital relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus is your best friend. The question all of us should ask is, do I conduct my life in such a way that Jesus is my best friend. So to live an abundant life is to make Jesus your best friend, to be uh, yoked together with him as he offers to us the yoke, and to learn as the younger ox from the mature ox how to do life, how to live the right way. 
uh, then the healthy church could be defined this way, that a healthy church is to be a vibrant community of faith so that Christ's redemptive purposes can be carried out in the world. So if we are to, as individuals and as a church, to reflect accurately the glory of God, then the best place for us to start is in the Word of God. And I want to argue for you this morning in the second week of our series that the weightiest influence in your personal life and in our church is intended to be the Word of God, what God has to say on a myriad of subjects, on every subject. We ought to be pursuing an understanding of God's Word. Now, if you uh, consider a a table on uh, the record number of books sold, then you would see a chart similar to this. These are listed in the hundreds of millions, and you'll see uh, older books on there, not many. They've mostly been dropped off by newer books, Uh, but Tolkien gets up there with The Lord of the Rings uh, at 103 million copies, Uh, Harry Potter, 400 million, quotations from uh, the chairman, Mao, Mao Zedong, 820 million, uh, but it's all dwarfed by the Word of God, which has sold 3.9 billion copies. So you might say, based on that chart, well, maybe we don't need a reminder about the importance of God's Word. Maybe we're doing okay just based on book sales. But if you consider statistics, then we find a different story. George Barner reports that 47% of Americans claim to read the Bible at some point in a given week. 82% of Americans claim to believe the Bible literally is the inspired Word of God. Yet more than half say they read it at least monthly, only monthly. More than half couldn't name uh, the four Gospels. So of that half who read it monthly couldn't name the four Gospels. And then less than another half of that number knew who delivered the Sermon on the Mount. You see, we've sold a lot of Bibles. The Christian publishing industry has done really well. It helps that the Bible was the very first thing to be put into print. Uh, And yet, there continues to be, as Amos says, a a hunger, a famine for God's Word. Amos chapter 8, verse 11 through 12 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread nor thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. My concern for you as a Christ follower, my concern for our church and for God's work in the world is that though we have been privileged to have the word of God, for too many of us, it is another book that collects dust from week to week. And by denying ourselves of its truths, we undermine the very life God intended for us, a vibrant life, an abundant life. We will never rise to the level of being the church God intended apart from his word. The great tragedy among Christians today is that too many of us are under the word of God, but we're not in the word of God. So I want to argue to you today that if you and I as a church, if we're to be all that God intends us to be in our second 100 years, if we're to be what God intends us to be for our community, for the valley, for the area of influence that we have as a church, then it will require that each one of us as Christ followers become people of the book, that we consistently devote ourselves to God's word. So why does this matter? Well, it matters immensely because apart from God's word, Uh, we will never discover the relationship we were intended, a growing 
vibrant relationship with Christ. So I wanted to use the book of 1 Timothy uh, to share a few thoughts from you, with you on the, this second essential. That is that the Word of God would be our weightiest influence. And this is not about uh, having a hobby. Uh, it's not a Bible drill one-upsmanship. It's not about who knows the Bible better. It's about your personal walk with the Lord. And you're setting aside time and our church being committed to the discipline of hearing the Word of the Lord. So 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses one, uh, verse 1 through chapter 4, verse 5. We're going to read that in just a moment. But let me give you a little bit of background. First of all, this book is written by the Apostle Paul, and it's written during his final imprisonment, written about around 66. And it stands as his last will and testament. He is concerned. In fact, he's right. He's not going to escape this particular imprisonment. His life will be martyred for the cause of Christ. And so in these final thoughts, he writes to Timothy about what matters most, what he's most concerned about. And the key verse of 2 Timothy is chapter 2, verse 2, where he writes to Timothy, uh, entrust, or he says, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men and women who will be able to teach others also. He exhorts the, uh, his protege, Timothy, to be committed and his, for his commitment to be born out of a conviction that he's already stated in chapter 1, verse 12, where he says, But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard that, that until that day what has been entrusted to me. And so in this closing letter, Paul says uh, to Timothy things that I think are incredibly instructive for you and I as individual Christ followers, and as a church. So let's begin with uh, reading the passage. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people, Paul says to Timothy. That sounds like a who's who of our day and age, of our culture. He continues, For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecution and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and Elystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, you won't hear this on television. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from who you have learned it and, know, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable 
for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you, chapter 4, verse 1, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. I want to give you three thoughts uh, from Paul's uh, words to Timothy about why we must endeavor to make the Word of God central in our own personal lives and central in our church. And the first is this. The Word of God is essential to our fallen world. You see, it's the natural inclination of the human heart to reject truth in rebellion to God. This is the story of Scripture. It's not good news, and for that reason, our culture likes to turn away from it. But this is where the story begins. Because uh, it all began in the garden when God's Word, God's truth, was distorted. As the serpent came to Adam and Eve, he said, Surely God didn't say. And so with a half-truth, Adam and Eve were... Well, Eve was deceived and Adam rebelled against what God had told him and sin entered the human race. And from that moment forward, every person who's been born into this world, our natural inclination is away from truth. It's why as parents, one of the things we have to teach our kids is not to lie. Why? Because it's in us. We lie by instinct. We are masters of obfuscating truth. And our world, if it is to be changed, if there's any hope for the world in which we live, if if there's any hope for a community like ours where so many people uh, still live outside of a relationship with God, it will be because we have devoted ourselves to His Word. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, Paul says, uh, describing the culture then but also applicable now, that, that we are lovers of a lot of things that are not good. Lovers that... Uh, devote ourselves to a lot of things that are not wholesome. He also says that, that we tend to have an appearance by human nature of looking a certain way, and yet the truth is there's no power behind it. This is religion. And you need to know if you've committed yourself to religion instead of a relationship to Jesus Christ, you are no different on the inside. You just have a facade that looks different. The only hope for you and I is in the Logos, the Word, who became flesh and dwelt among us. His name is Jesus Christ. Now, to excel at anything, uh, or as a general rule, uh, you've, you've you've got to learn to love it. So athletes tend to fall in love with a particular track, and they will devote themselves to it because they, they have a passion for that particular sport. And the reason why, as the human race continues to excel at doing bad, is because that's where our passions run. This is what Paul is telling Timothy. He wants him to be clear that what the world needs uh, is not just go-along-to-get-along kinds of people. What the world needs is not just validation that I'm okay, you're okay. What the world needs is not this idea that it's okay for you to choose your path and I'll choose mine. That may seem magnanimous, but it's a lie. Because God is the one who determines who gets to Him. 
And what God says about our world is that each one of us has fallen far short of his glory. Romans chapter 1 verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. You know what's wrong with you? You know what's wrong with me? It's just in my flesh to want to suppress the truth. Now you step out of line, and I'll be quick to point out to you how to walk the right way. But I'm, I'm slow to point that same finger back at myself. In fact, that's the, the adage when you start point, pointing fingers at other people, you've always got three pointing back at yourself. It's just human nature. Paul continues in verses 24 and 25 in Romans 1 saying, Therefore God gave them up in their lust, in the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. You see, apart from God's truth, our souls remain imperiled. And so while it's not a popular thing to say that all men have fallen short of the glory of God, that all of us are born sinners, that even your precious little baby has the seeds of Adam's DNA sown into their flesh. It's not a popular message, but it's the truth. And the only hope that our world has, is that if we're clear enough about what God says, that we will turn to a God who has provided for us such that we might be spared of his wrath. God is loving. He loves you. But he's also just. And he's also holy. And if you want to know how God feels about sin, simply look to the cross where he exacted the payment for our sins on his own son. It is this truth that will help a world that's naturally bent on a rejection towards truth and rebellion against him. And so scripture says, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus says in Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. You see, we can sell 3.9 billion uh, volumes of the Bible, We can have multiple Bibles, as I do, most of us do, in in our possession. But if we we, uh, push the Bible aside like just another novel, if, if it's not important to us, then we run the risk of never knowing what it was God created us for, which was a relationship with Him. If we do not apply ourselves to it, then we will leave a world desperate and hurting, a famine for what God has to say. Isaiah 55, 11 says, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So the good news for us today is that Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. God meant for you and I to thrive, not just survive. But the key to our world thriving, really thriving, is met in the Word of God, is found in discovering what God has done for us that we simply cannot do for ourselves. Uh, Prof. Hendricks, one of my professors and mentors at Dallas Seminary, used to say uh, that this book will either keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. Brother and sister in Christ, it's just that simple. Either your sin... However mild it may seem, whatever the weightiest influences in your life are, 
Those things are either keeping you from this book, or this book is keeping you from sin. It's refining that natural inclination in you to go your own way. He would continue with those words and say, in fact, you are either in the Word, and the Word is conforming you to the image of Jesus Christ, or you are in the world, and the world is squeezing you into its mold. So Paul says in Romans chapter 12, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed through the renewing of your mind. How does one's mind get renewed? In the Word of God. And this leads me to uh, the second thing that Paul says to Timothy. Not only is uh, it essential that the world have the Word of God, but it's essential uh, to the Christian life. Paul continues in his words to Timothy, You, however have followed my teaching, my conduct, my way of life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. Paul says, I have modeled for you how you ought to live. And you followed that. Even in my sufferings, you have understood that God is not against me. God's not mad at me. God hasn't looked the other way. He's intending to use it. In fact, to this point, God has rescued me from every one of my struggles, from every struggle or uh, from every persecution. And what has happened is not only has Paul's faith matured in understanding God's Word, but he's passed that on to Timothy, such that when Paul is not rescued from this one, Timothy will not be shipwrecked. He will understand that we serve a sovereign God, that he, a God who has numbered every one of our days, a God who has purpose in everything you do. And as we walk with Him, as we apply ourselves to His Word, He will show us how to do what He's put before us. And when our time comes, however it looks... And we pass from this life to the next. We will step into his glorious presence and receive the inheritance that is ours in Christ Jesus. Abundant life is the supernatural byproduct of receiving, believing, and responding to God's word. This is what Paul is reminding Timothy. That the reason why you have hope in Christ is because you have applied yourself to the word of God. You've believed the word of God. You've received it. Uh, and then you've been obedient to it. You've acted upon it. This is why the church can only accomplish what each of us individually has committed ourselves to. Because it's only in as much as you and I as individual Christ followers are uh, receiving the Word of God and we're believing the Word of God and we're responding in obedience to it that together we will be something special. God will pour out His Spirit among us. So yes the leaders of the church must apply themselves to God's Word. We have to be people of the book, trying to lead in prayer and in passion the work that God wants to do. But we will only accomplish as much as every one of us as Christ followers are committed to the Word of God. If the natural inclination of my heart is to reject truth and to rebel against God, and the solution for that is God's Word, if it's true for me, it's also true for you. We must be people of the book. God's word is absolutely central to how we come to know and relate to God. This is what Paul is reminding Timothy. And he says, but as for you, in verse 14, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it. Now, Paul, uh, Timothy was blessed to have a mother and a grandmother who were committed to the Lord. And they had already been pouring into Timothy in addition to what Paul was going to add. So this is instructive for us moms and dads. Moms and dads in our day tend to 
uh, entrust the spiritual development of their children to the church, it's a mistake. You are the pastor of your own home. When Scripture says, train up a child in the way they should go so that when they're old, they won't depart from that. You know where that starts? It starts in the home. And the problem is, is that too few parents can actually teach their kids the things of faith. Too few parents have applied themselves to the teaching of Scripture to be able to entrust it to their children. And so, when Christian kids raised in Christian homes go off to college, statistics show that 84% of them walk away from their faith. Why? Because the church wasn't teaching? Because there wasn't a vibrant student ministry or a children's ministry? No, in most cases, those things were there. It's, there's a disconnect between what they experienced at home and what they see at church. And you know who matters most to a child? Not the pastor. Not the student pastor. Not the children's minister. It's dad. It's mom. And so Paul says, remember... Remember what was entrusted to you, how your mother and your grandmother poured Christ into you and taught you the Scriptures. Remember how I've modeled for you a dependence upon the Lord and a trust in what He has to say. And in so doing, we not only come to know God, but relate to Him rightly. By God's Word, we are born again. By God's Word, we obtain faith. Paul says, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing through the Word of Christ. By God's word, we grow in godliness. Jesus prayed, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. We also receive encouragement and hope. Paul writes in Romans 15, 4, For, whatever, for whatsoever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through them the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. True spirituality is a spirituality of the word. You can devote yourself to all kinds of good. You can do all kinds of social good in the world, never miss a Sunday at church. But if you are not, as an individual Christ follower, devoted to God's Word, not just to be under it, but to be in it, then you're robbing yourself of your inheritance in Christ. The truth is, you're living far beneath the level of what you've been redeemed for. And there's a pretty good chance that we will be so heavenly minded that we'll be of no earthly good. What gives us teeth as Christ followers is our ability to share with other people the Word of God that we personally have received, believed, and responded to. Jesus in John chapter 6 is uh, teaching a discourse on spiritual nourishment when He says, I am the bread of life. And by so... Uh, instructing us, we have to receive, we have to eat of him. And at this, uh, the crowds begin to turn away. What do you mean? We have to eat of your flesh. That's something the world doesn't understand. But those of us who have been given the Spirit understand fully what he meant. That Jesus is the sustenance of life. I can go without nourishment at lunch today before I can go without Jesus. He's my living water. He's the bread of life. And as the crowds began to walk away, Jesus turned to the disciples and said, will you leave me too? And Jesus responded, to whom else will we go, Lord? For you have the words of life. Who is the weightiest influence in your life? I would submit to you that unless it's the word of God, then you continue to imperil your own soul. You continue to be at risk as a person. And as much as you are a believer... You continue to walk separately 
from the easy yoke that Jesus has invited you to. This leads to a third final thought. If abundant life is the supernatural byproduct of receiving, believing, and responding to God's word, then Christ's church, if it is to be a vibrant community of faith, if it's to be spiritually healthy, must maintain a commitment to the centrality of Scripture. Now, I grew up in a church, I was blessed to grow up in a church, but nevertheless grew up in a church where the pastor, the speaker, stood behind this giant desk of a pulpit. Right, wrong, or indifferent, in my head, what I translated from that was, he was exalted, there was a barrier between he and I that I could never attain. And so as a result of that, I prefer a music stand. I know some of you don't like that. But it's not the desk that makes this moment sacred, nor is it the speaker. It is the Word of God. In many churches, oftentimes the Bible is put over here, and the message comes from this position. It may just be me, but it will not be that way as your pastor. Not because I'm important and need to be center stage, but because the Word of God deserves to be right here in the middle. Because my resolve to you as a pastor is that what will help you get closer to God, what will lead you to abundant life, what will make our church what it is intended to be is not my leadership. My authority rises and falls on the Word of God. My authority as a pastor, as a preacher, stops at God's Word. I may say something inspirational that I just pull out of the air, and that's all well and good, but that will not change a life. It is the Word of God that will change us. It is the Word of God that will make our church not just a beautiful expression of the body of Christ, but that will make us a force for redemption in this community. And I just believe in my heart of hearts that that is what every Christ follower in this room desires this church to be, a force for the kingdom of God, transforming lives and inviting other people into a powerful community where we're devoted to God's word in allegiance to Jesus Christ, experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit, all for the purpose of bringing glory to our Father. I'm not usually one to ask for it, but can I get an amen? So Paul turns from the individual, and I'll wrap up quickly, although I could continue going on the subject. Paul makes the point that not only is the Word of God essential to the individual, but it's essential for the body of Christ. It is the most important thing. In fact, it is the only thing that matters. You can strip away from us every other experience. You can strip away from us worship. You can take from us the sacrament of communion. We can cease to baptize people. The apostle Paul was put in prison, and he would not see the light of day before his life was over. But you know what stayed him? The word of God, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It is the word of God that will see you through your final valley. I don't know what it looks like. You may die peacefully in your sleep. I pray that. Or it may be as glorious as falling asleep behind the wheel and running off a cliff. But when your time comes, what will give you assurance, what will give you peace that you're letting go of something that's not all that, and you're fixed to embrace the Lord who gave his life for you, what will give you that assurance is the word of God hidden in your heart, stored up in you, treasured for you, and beyond you, it will be the thing that God will use to give life to other people. 
So Paul says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, kerusan ton lagon, preach the word. It is all that we have. We have ministers on television who are devoted to tickling the ears of people, watering down what God says, and they offer no real hope. They offer a self-help, positive feeling, motivational talk. But it will send a person to hell just as quickly as not hearing anything at all. What we need to hear is that we are sinners in need of a Savior and that God in His great love for us has offered His Son, Jesus Christ, who has taken upon Himself our sins. And in dying and being restored to life, He has made it possible that you and I, by grace through faith, can enter in to God's family, becoming adopted sons and daughters. Paul says to Timothy, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. I'd like to think that everybody's 100% on board with this message. I know better. Some of you don't want to endure sound teaching. You will be disappointed, as that is my resolve. All I intend to teach you is the Word of God. And I'm counting on faithful men and women like the Bereans who have so devoted themselves to the Scripture that they will help me do that. God's Word is infallible. God's Word is inerrant. God's Word is authoritative. I am not. The only hope for you and I is the Holy Spirit at work among us, taking His Word and shedding it abroad like His love in our hearts. And as He does so, He will make us what we are intended to be. So as a church, my resolve as a leader is to make sure that every element of our church life is founded upon and filled with God's Word. We will read the Bible. We will preach the Bible. We will pray the Bible. We will sing the Bible. At the end of the day, the New Testament calls Christians to speak the Word to one another. If God's Word is not the weightiest influence in your life, then there's a pretty good chance that what you will offer the struggling person beside you will not really help them. All that you and I have to offer is truth. But God has been so good to give it to us. Let us not neglect it, as so many are in the habit of doing in our day. So, my challenge to you this morning is as an individual Christ follower to make a decision that you will seize upon the abundant life that Jesus is offering you in Jesus Christ and that you will recognize that part of what God is going to do to bring abundant life about is all in here. This is the manual for your life with Christ. And if you are to be the person God intended, if you're to finally get past that sin that you continue to struggle with, if you're to see God work miraculously in your marriage or give you wisdom beyond yourself for parenting that child, it's all in here. To the degree that I can say God has done good things in my life, I, will, I can stand before you and tell you it's because I've applied myself to this teaching. Not nearly as much as I ought to, not nearly as much as I hope to, but to the degree that I've applied myself to the riches of God's Word, He has never failed me. His Word is true. To the degree that my marriage is blessed, I'd be quick to say in part it's because i got a wonderful woman that God gave me. But we would both tell you that the key to our marriage is that we've both been focused on Christ 
and we've taken God at his word, what he wants our marriage to be. That means not just blessings. That means not just doing the good things. That means also refining sin, letting him change us. The same thing would be true for our children. And the same thing is offered to you regarding your family and your, the work of your hands. Apply yourself to the things of God, and not only will he bless your way, but he will use you to share his word with other people. So maybe you need to make a decision to commit to giving yourself more to God's word. The rest of us are depending on it. As a church, we are going to commit ourselves to the word of God. It's not your preferences. It's not your wants. It's not our likes or our dislikes. We, we are here to reflect the glory of God as revealed in his word. And so with every issue along the way, we're going to look to God's word. We're not going to be clever because our culture says clever things. We're simply going to say, God, what do you have to say about this? And we will do it. As for me and God's house, we will serve the Lord. And the Lord has revealed himself to us faithfully in the scriptures. One last way that we can put the Bible um, as a central place in our fellowship is by seeing it. We see scripture when anytime we stir the baptismal pool and we baptize someone, this is obedient to something Jesus told us to do. I look forward to doing that. I know we have a baptistry and I know we've done it in the river. So if we're going to do it in the river, we'll wait till it's a little warmer. Either that or I'll get Spencer to do the baptisms. I'll just watch from the shore with a coat on. But when we baptize, we're, we're not only responding to what Jesus said, but we see the word of God at work, transforming lives and building a community of faith. Another way is through the celebration of communion. Chris, if you would, you can come on up. We're going to end our service this morning uh, taking communion. Marty, you can come up as well. Communion is seeing the Word of God at work in our midst. It's Jesus who instituted communion. He, at the Passover meal in the upper room, uh, took the bread and he took the cup and he, he translated new meaning to these elements, saying this, this bread represents my body which is broken for you. And this cup represents the new covenant in my blood. New covenant meaning better than the old, replacing the old, because the old, all we could do was like read the law and then know that we were going to fail, especially Jason, especially Chris, especially me. You see, the law could only prove that we're lawbreakers in need of Christ. And God was gracious to give us his word to teach us that. Because it's only when we come to an end of ourselves and trying to perform and live up to God that we can fall on Jesus Christ who has done it for us. And so the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, For I have given to you that which I also received, um, that on the same night he was arrested, Jesus took the cup and he took the bread. And he said, this bread represents my body, which is broken for you. And this cup represents the new covenant of my blood. As often as you take this bread, as often as you drink this cup, you do so in remembrance of me. So this morning, we see the word of God at work among us.
I want to invite you, if you will, to stand. I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm just going to invite you to come forward, receive the bread, receive the cup, and then return to your seats. Father, we thank you for your good word. God, each one of us knows from experience of walking with you, those of us who who have a relationship with you, that, that it often starts with the bad news, that there's something about us that needs to change. But oh, how we have discovered time and time again that you are a good God, that you've redeemed us to do good through us. And yet so many of us need to grow in our personal understanding of our walk with you. We need to apply ourselves to your word so that we might accomplish the good that you created us to do. As we come this morning to the table, Father, we do so as the body of Christ. And we are reminded that there's room for every one of us at your table. That the same life given to redeem me or Jason, or Chris, is the same life given to redeem every person in this room. So great was your sacrifice that you could, ab- you could abolish all of our sins, casting them into a sea of forgetfulness, and adopting us as your sons and daughters. So as we partake this morning of the bread and the cup, we do so in remembrance of you. We know that you are the cornerstone of our life. We know this because your word is central in our lives. May we be that kind of Christ follower. May we be that kind of church. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen.